This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bioproven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com and by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help you protect your next. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Pro Farmer recently completed their annual crop tour. We'll take a look at what their corn and soybean numbers reveal and what it could mean for us this harvest season and beyond. Is $3 corn ahead? What should we take into account before marketing grain and livestock this year and next? It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. Farmers have faced many challenges regarding nitrogen needs for the corn crop in recent years. In the past few seasons, I've been using Pivot Bioproven 40 to provide my corn with nitrogen when it needs it, no matter the weather. Now that predictability is available right on the corn seed, Pivot Bioproven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. It's the first on seed nitrogen, and all U.S. corn growers have access to the game changing technology. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. And this week's show is also brought to you by my friends at Nationwide. You may know that besides hosting these programs, I'm, of course, a farmer and rancher. And like me, you probably have insurance, and maybe you don't give it much thought after that. And that can be a big problem if you aren't protected. That's why I've partnered with Nationwide, the number one farm insurer in the U.S. Founded by farmers nearly a century ago, they're committed to keeping us safe and protected. Are you protected from a ransomware attack? Have you covered the bases when it comes to passing your farm to the next generation? you have protection when leasing your ground? We've created short videos to answer those questions and many more. Just go to nationwide.com slash Andrew. That's nationwide.com slash Andrew, where I host short videos and many topics to help us see what we may have overlooked. Pro Farmer just finished their annual crop tour, and we now have their numbers to consider. Chip Flory and I discussed what he saw on tour and the overall crop outlook for this year. I was interested not only in the corn and bean fields he walked, but also how the Pro Farmer numbers and the global numbers will impact our commodity prices. One thing that caught my attention was his thought that corn may be headed into the $3 range. At least the first digit of the price would be a 3, yet bean prices may hold up, creating a battle to pull acres away from corn and toward beans for next year. We covered a lot of ground, and as usual, Chip had plenty of interesting ideas to share. Here's our conversation. Chip Flory is my guest, and Chip Flory may be a tired man. He just got done with <laughs> crop tour. <laughs> you know, in fact, I should start there, Chip. Is there a process for you to unwind after uh, a whole week yeah. of crop tour? Because you guys are on the road nonstop for several days. Yeah, absolutely there is. I mean, it's it's a trip to our our weekend establishment where we spend a little time out on the Mississippi. But day one, day one, my wife knows after 31 years that I am going to get in the vehicle if we're going someplace and I am going to sleep the entire way there. I'm not going to be any fun that night because I'm going to be asleep. And that's how it turned out again this year. I mean, you know, I got about oh, 14 hours of sleep on Friday night. <laughs> well, hey, during the week, how many hours of sleep will you get? 
Well, this year it was it wasn't so bad because it, when it's as hot as it was, Andrew, I knew I, I knew that. Listen, you better take care of yourself as best as you possibly can, or it's going to turn into an issue during the day out in the heat. So I, you know, I I would get wrapped up uh, about midnight, back up at six. So six hours of sleep was was really pretty good, but. I I wasn't uh, as social as I have been in other years out on out on tour, and you know the final night uh, I wrapped up Thursday night about three thirty in the morning, and back up at at six thirty to uh, to make the drive home. So it was. Uh, yeah, it, it it was an eventful week, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, let's jump into some of the numbers. Um, looks like from what you saw, your reporting, uh, Pro Farmers reporting, is the crop under what USDA has most recently reported. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We see it a little bit under it, no question about it. And the thing that concerned me the most, Andrew, uh, about the 172 and the 49.7 on the on the, the yield side of things, and, and I understand that that the crop estimate is more important than the yield estimate. And and we need to keep that in mind because we did add 650,000 acres to the harvested acreage estimate on corn. So we're down from 175 plus uh, from USDA or we're below that number uh, as of August one, but we offset a lot of that by adding those acres. Now, I think those acres are going to be added by USDA eventually. That's certainly what the farm, the the uh, FSA data would suggest. But there's no guarantee. Uh, there, there's no guarantee that USDA's NAS is going to add that. They might wait some time before they do that. Uh, but at 172 bushels per acre, it feels like that was was a snapshot number of last week. Uh, Conditions are still tough. They are still deteriorating in a lot of places. We've got a reprieve right now on the temperature side of things. And there were areas that picked up rain on Thursday night that it's certainly going to help. But like down in southeast Nebraska, Andrew, um, some of the beans that that got the water, is it's definitely going to help them. But some of the beans were dead. Uh, or, or were in the process of dying. I don't know how much how much good the the rain is going to help. And then on the dryland corn, we saw a lot of ears that were hanging, were were pointed down on those stalks already. Uh, and I, to to me, that's a sign that the growing season has ended for that for that crop. Now, the other area that rain is going to have a very minimal impact on is up in southeast Minnesota. Good grief. I was on Highway 30, crossed I-35 into uh, Steele County. I believe it was Steele County. Yeah, Steele County, uh, Beautana, yep. Yep, and holy smokes, man. It just looked like somebody dropped the drought bomb right in in that area, and it goes on for about 30 miles. It, it was really astonishing how they've been missed and missed consistently in southeast Minnesota. 
Yeah, there's an area around Rochester, Owatonna to Rochester, yeah. where it, yeah, it's very, very dry. Well, those places that where you were seeing that, I'm guessing they had been dry throughout the summer. Is yeah. that the case? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and not just for the summer. You know, this is a, a West Central Iowa. From the road, you see a lot of good looking crops or what you think are good looking crops. But you get into the field and it's just kind of a, uh, you know, it can be a shock factor when you get into some of those fields. And it's just, I think it's the cumulative effect of dry, you know, back to back to back dry growing seasons there in West Central Iowa, Andrew. It it looks good in the Southwest. It's okay in the Northwest, but that West Central part of the state, there's some real issues there that, that they are dealing with this year. And the, uh, the white mold moved into that bean crop. It, it, I think it was the probably the first week of July is when they got that shot of water that kind of inoculated the white mold and holy smokes, it's doing some damage over there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we mentioned that, okay, what you're reporting is lower than USDA totals, but do you think because we are in between reports now, the next time we have a USDA report, will it be down where we're pro farmers at? Do you think it's just a matter um, of timing of those when we looked at the crop? You know, we, we do try to estimate what the final crop is going to be. We can't forget that Ohio is really good. Indiana is very good. Illinois is what it was advertised to be. Maybe a little bit more inconsistency in that crop than we'd like to see to really be, a, you know, a, a 200 bushel plus uh, state from, from USDA. So are we offsetting some of the issues in the Western Belt with some good in the Eastern Belt? So it's, it's a final estimate is, is what we have delivered on corn and soybeans. We're not going to be changing it unless, unless we see evidence that suggests we need, that, that Brian and his team needs to change that yield estimate. But as of right now, I think I'd be a little surprised if USDA would go all the way down to, to 172 and, and 49.7 at this point. If they do, if they do, it would suggest to me that they uncovered some things in their objective yield plots that are giving them some some real concern over the corn and soybean crops. And eventually we might get some evidence that suggests we need to go even lower. Historically, how has the Pro Farmer Crop Tour ended up comparing to what NAS does. And I know it's not of, well, we're better or they're better because right. it's just how you measure it. But historically, how have the two <laughs> wound up at the end of the season, yeah. so to speak? Right, right. Now, obviously, there isn't a bean yield from Crop Tour, and that's a that's a pro farmer number only is what we're giving you. And the 172 is different than, and the state yields that we put on uh, states are different than what were generated on crop tour is as well, and that's because we know historically how uh, Ohio might finish and how it might compare to USDA's final. So, if you just look at the the crop estimates, uh, the goal is to be within one percent on that corn crop, and the goal is to be within two percent on soybeans because. You know, everybody says that soybeans are an August crop. We make the crop in August. In in reality, it's more of a September finish. 
is is what it takes. You've got to have uh, you sure don't want an early frost. Uh, you want to wait until that first week in October before we get a frost. But the uh, uh, the water that that bean crop has available to it in September tells us as much about how it's going to yield as any of those August rains. Remember Hurricane Isaac back in, in 2012? That bean crop was burnt up and did not look good. It's, it was still alive. It, it wasn't killed, but it was... It was under a lot of stress, and Hurricane Isaac helped brought some rains all the way up to eastern Iowa and helped that bean crop out like middle of September. There, there were spots that we just didn't think was going to get a crop, and it and they did, they did, and and uh, so we can't rule out the benefit of some some September rains on the bean crop. But boy, it. it uh, we gave you the pro farmer number is a final estimate. I, I think is is the bottom line on right. it, Andrew. It can change a lot. And how accurate? How accurate have we been? Two years ago, two years ago, USDA missed it missed the final bean crop by just a million bushels because the the pro farmer estimates and the the USDA final estimates were within a million bushels, one million bushels out of a fifteen billion bushel crop. We were within 1 million bushels on corn and a million bushels on beans as well. Now, a year ago, that number widened out to 39 million bushels on corn, which is like 0.0 something percent. Now, the bean crop, we missed it. When we left the, the crop tour on a year ago, there was rain on the radar and rain in the forecast. And so we didn't want to hurt it too bad. Uh, didn't want to lean down too much on that this year, and and the rains shut off and they didn't happen. And we overshot. We overshot on the bean crop a year ago. Uh, I wish I had the exact comparisons in front of me, but I've seen all kinds of comparisons out there, Andrew. One of them was done by a major European bank that I read this weekend that I felt pretty doggone good about. You know, historically within. Uh, 0.99 of a bushel was their analysis on corn and and within half a bushel on beans is their long-term historical analysis out there but it gives you the trend that's the important thing it it's rare it is rare that we've missed the trend on on the uh, corn and soybean crops so in light of that, let's talk about how that might affect prices and marketing then yep. going forward. Um, as we look at the, well, let's start with the corn market. Uh, the prices that you can get this fall are less than what they have been in previous years. Yep. Does anything that we've seen in the crop tour and uh, the numbers that we have on this year's crop plus any carryover change what we're going to look at and what the prices that you see right now going into this fall and winter? Uh, it, no. It really doesn't. Uh, demand is the issue there. The supply side could tighten up enough to have an impact, but but Andrew, we're going to have to take another 250, 300 million bushels off the corn crop if that is going to happen. Uh, we're sitting here with about a 15% stocks to use ratio, and I just don't see a whole lot bullish in a 15% stocks to use ratio, the, the, the groups that we met with uh, last week on the Western leg of the tour 
in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska City, Spencer, and then up in Rochester. I told them that at some point uh, th- this feels like we're going to have a $3 handle on corn. The question will be how long is that going to stick around? Uh, at how long it sticks around in that low $4 range or high $3, $3 range is going to be determined by how long importers and end users wait to get coverage. Because if the if the export demand comes back very quickly, we're not going to spend much time down there. That, that just won't happen. Uh, but I think it's going to be the demand side that's going to change the stocks to use ratio most quickly in this environment. On soybeans, I think it's a different story. You know, we always talk about the, the, the corn to soybean price ratio and how it's going to have an influence on, on acres uh, going forward. I think, Andrew, I think the stocks to use ratio is going to three to one. I think it's going to trade there for quite some time. I think that the market is going to be sending the signals to plant beans, plant beans, plant beans. I don't know, you know, I don't know what the response from from farmers is going to be because doggone it, corn. I mean, corn pays bills. <laughs> and and uh, beans are paying more and more of the bills, but you got to have revenue and the revenue associated with a high book with, with the high volume corn crop. So how that's going to, how that's going to impact actual decisions later, later this year, as guys are thinking about putting anhydrous on anhydrous, that is 40% of what a year ago was. That's going to be a whole lot easier for for guys to decide to stick with corn rather than to move over to soybeans. But I think beans are going to have to make an effort to get some acres. And a three-to-one corn-bean price ratio might do it. You know, if it's $14, if it's $14 uh, beans and $4 corn, I, I, you got you to gotta think that that would get some more bean acres, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and of course, it's always changing. But yeah, that's that's what it looks like. We're at fourteen dollar beans and four dollar corn, and you mentioned we might go to uh, three on the the front end of the yeah. corn number. Uh, you would think that that would bring some more bean numbers in, but yeah, yeah. You mentioned we'll, the, we'll have to see. Right, right. You mentioned the demand side. I'm curious, what do you think are the main drivers then reducing demand globally? Is it? internationally we're looking at inflation and 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 the dollar value or what are the factors then that are most impacting that demand brazil uh brazil is doing a heck of a job of meeting more and more of the demand the global demand and uh importing countries seem more willing to do business with brazil than with the united states right now it's hard to even work up the courage to say this, but we are a supplier of last resort to a lot of countries out there right now. And, and uh, with Brazil being the producer that they have become, and I, I, this is the line that I used this last week uh, talking about, you know, with that corn crop and that bean crop combined that they, are trying to export out of Brazil, Andrew. Uh, you know, it looks like a watermelon going through a garden hose. You got to think there's no way that they could make that happen, and they are. 
they're making it happen. Uh, it just is, it's pretty astonishing to see Brazil do what they are doing with, with two record crops and they're going to plant more. You got to believe that Argentina is going to benefit from an El Nino growing season. And so they're going to be more of a supplier of soybean meal and oil to the market in the year ahead. I, we look at this this soybean meal market hanging out in the four you know the four hundred and ten four hundred and twenty dollar range, and you kind of scratch your head thinking why in the world is that happening when you look at our cattle numbers, our dairy numbers, our our hog numbers, even our poultry numbers pulling back some. How is meal holding up? Well, it's holding up because Argentina, it, it, you know, the influence of Argentina on that market is still being felt. If they have a recovery, that that support is going to come out of the market as well. Um, it's we are, we are a transitioning industry. We are a transitioning industry, Andrew, and I think we're going to be uh, uh, using more soybean oil to produce more fuel, renewable diesel in particular, but sustainable aviation fuel is in there. We're going to continue to make ethanol, but some of that ethanol, more and more of it, is going to go to sustainable aviation fuel. Um, we are, with, with our soybean meal, it could be a tough market for, you know, a low-priced market for a couple of years until we start to get some cattle back, until we start to rebuild uh, pork production and poultry production. And you know, let's face it, uh, a, a broiler is a is a, a a soybean with a beak, basically. And if we can start exporting some poultry and some more pork, I think we're going to do more and more of that going forward and, and using up our production that way. Hey, Chip, we just got a moment here before we wrap up. I would be interested in your thoughts just on livestock. The cattle market, of course, has continued to push higher any thoughts just cattle hogs uh, before we wrap up you know with this uh with this feeder cattle market doing what it's doing we're starting to see some evidence that the feed yards are going to be willing to refill for this fall and and continue to push uh production going i mean what what do feed yards do they feed cattle that's what they're going to do and they're coming after a, a smaller and smaller supply Andrew, until demand breaks down, and I'm not seeing any sign of it right now, uh, we got to find some way, if we're going to rebuild the the beef herd, we got to find some way to make that female worth more in in the pasture than she is in the feed yard. And we're not getting those signals yet. Not yet. And... uh, until and once we do get those signals and we pull the females out of the feed yard to put them out on pasture down goes our beef production one last time and that's what should spike us to the high in cash cattle prices we haven't gotten into that that point in the cycle yet so the high is still ahead of us i'm i i'm confident in that uh and if we start to get some of the the demand back through exports on pork. I think that's going to help us out. And don't forget when we start to lose demand for beef, 
it we don't stop eating meat we just transfer that demand and that'll help our pork out too and uh, and bring some some extra demand to pork but if we can keep the economy yeah hey i you know it it looks to me more and more like powell has landed to 747 on a football field it, it if if that happened and it's a soft landing and we continue our some economic growth even as he is trying to get inflation under control i i think that's going to be really good news for the hog market going forward because it'll be a value uh, purchase in the meat case. So hopefully we're sticking low in this hog market too. Chip, always good to visit. I hope you get a little rest. Uh, you bet, man. <laughs> from Crop Tour, but always good to talk the numbers. Thanks for the time. Lo- love talking with you, Andrew. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and the daily show American Countryside on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And you can hear this show in a variety of ways as well on many local radio stations, on your favorite podcast platform, or just go to farmingthecountryside.com where you can go back and scroll the archive to see shows and topics you may have missed. We try to have a variety of guests who provide information impacting many parts of the ag industry. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com and by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next.